Well, it looks like that we are slowly but surely coming to the end of our journey through the book of Luke and Acts. Now, this Sunday and the next Sunday, and then we are done. But I think we are going out with a bang. I think we are going out with a bang, as you're seeing, as Paul's call and mission comes to a climax. In Acts chapter 9, Paul was commissioned with the words, This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And I think we're going to see this, how this is peaking in the closing chapters of the book of Acts. In the previous Sundays, we have been tracing and following Paul on his missionary journeys, the first, the second, and the third. And then last Sunday, in his third missionary journey, he was returning to Jerusalem. And on his way back to Jerusalem, he was being warned over and over again that something is going to happen in Jerusalem. So, for instance, when he spoke before the elders of Ephesus and Miletus to give his farewell speech. He was saying, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. And then, after landing in Syria, some disciples are telling him, Finding disciples there... We stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And then in Caesarea, while staying with Philip and his family, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. But Paul is keeping on going to Jerusalem. Now as Paul is returning to Jerusalem, he's not really coming at a great time back to this city. Roughly around the late 50s, about 10 years before the Jewish insurrection broke out in 66. And in that time, these areas were sliding more and more into chaos, more and more into civil war, civil unrest, and violence. Well, this happened partly because of Roman incompetence and brutality, but also the Jewish people felt more and more as if they were under siege as a religious group as a nation. And so they were very, very hostile. It was hostile opposition, violent opposition to anything that looked like assimilation. And that was not really in Paul's favor because there were rumors circulating in Jerusalem about him, even among the Christians, the Jewish Christians, that he was teaching the Jews in the Mediterranean, wherever he met them, to abandon the law. And so he's coming back. He's coming into a situation which we should not see like as some of our missionaries come home for furlough, you know, coming to peaceful 
Alberta to Wainwright or Calgary or Edmonton, but rather we should think in terms of it's coming to a place like Baghdad or Kabul before the Taliban took over last year. On a weekly basis, a bomb went off in you know, Baghdad and Kabul, assassinations, street fights, sectarian violence. That is kind of the environment in which Paul comes back. And yet he keeps on going towards Jerusalem. Where does he take the courage from? How does he dare, with all these things going on, to keep on going and fulfilling his mission? Well, I think that over the years, since all this, his work started back in Acts chapter 9, so that's maybe now 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, when that started, he learned something in his walk with the Lord. And I think he brought this down to paper in the book of Philippians chapter 4. There he responds that uh, Philippian church was providing him with a gift, a material gift. And in verse 10, he write, uh, verse 10 he writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have been renewed, you, you have you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well, fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything for him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now sometimes we take this verse out of context and, and see it as an, a motto or a slogan for self-improvement or self-actualization to fulfill our dreams. Yes, I, be, you know, I can become an astronaut or I can become prime minister or, or whatever, but rather Paul is seeing this that through the empowerment of Christ, he can stay true to his calling and mission, whatever the circumstances are. Well, I would like with you to survey our chapters for today and see how this is playing out in Paul's return to Jerusalem with his arrests and hearings and trials. Today our chapters are roughly in the middle of 21 to 26, and I would like to look at four instances, four situations where we can see how this plays out in his life. Well, as Paul is coming back to Jerusalem, he is meeting the elders, James, and the other elders of the Jerusalem church to bring this gift, the collection from the churches in Greece. And so he pretty quickly learns what the situation is and James right away tells him, you know, there are rumors about you, even among our Jewish Christians, that you are teaching everyone to abandon the law. And these Jewish Christians here, they are zealous for the law. So in order to dispel any rumors and any maybe misunderstandings, maybe you can lead a few people from us 
and helping them to fulfill their vow or their rite of purification in the temple so that everybody sees that you are still following the laws of Moses. And so that's what Paul is doing in making the arrangements. And as they then go to the temple to do this, his opponents use this occasion to throw the city into turmoil. In chapter 21, verse 27, it says, When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple air and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian in the city with Paul, and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the command of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, Away with him! Away with him! Well, we have heard this before, right? Away with him. That was the crowd was shouting at Jesus' trial. Have you ever witnessed uh, a brawl or, or, or a riot? I, guess, I mean, it sometimes happens after... Sports events, right? A soccer brawl, a hockey brawl. I'm, I must say I never really have witnessed such, a, in such an event, only on seeing on TV. As close as I got was once at a May Day protest in, in Berlin, and that was intimidating enough to see the riot police and all everybody worked up and hundreds and thousands of protesters, protesters ready to throw rocks and stones and everything. That's intimidating. And yet Paul has the courage to speak up, to confront, to face the mob and give his testimony. Where is he taking the courage from? Well, I believe as we are reading this text, we, maybe we can hear him whispering to himself, I can do this. I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. And he gives his testimony and shares what has happened since his road to Damascus. And as he comes to the point where he shares God then sent him to the Gentiles, it's getting even worse than before. And they want to kill him. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. And then the Romans bring him into the barracks. 
Well, I wish I had this courage of Paul to speak up for the gospel, to be ready to share at any time, under any circumstances, and not think twice, but rather telling myself, Michael, you can do this because it's Christ who is working in you. Well, then, look at, let us look at what's happening through his arrest, hearings, and trials. So then the Romans bring him into the barracks. In order to find out what's happening, they want to torture him. Apparently, this was a good method to find the truth in the Roman mind. And so it continues. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. But I was Born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. You're going to see in these chapters, in this arrest, trial, and hearing, that Paul acts very shrewdly in all these circumstances, in these challenges. Now, is a Christian supposed to act shrewdly? Is that part of the Christian way? Well, it's interesting that Jesus said something about this in Matthew chapter 10. He said, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Paul is here very strategically using his citizenship. He didn't mention it before. That would have aggravated his situation with the Jewish mob. But now he plays this card. And this Roman, these Roman commanders, they, they are scared because Paul is not just has bought or somehow gained his citizenship after military service. No, he was born. So he's even in his status higher than any of these Romans present. So they're scared. He's playing this card intentionally to bring him out of this situation and change the rules of the game. Then the next day, the Romans assemble Sanhedrin to find out what's going on because it must have to do something with the Jewish customs and the Jewish laws. And here Paul, again, acts very shrewdly. He applies a divide-and-conquer strategy as he's facing the Sanhedrin. He's allowed to speak in that meeting, and then in chapter 23, verse 6, it says, Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. 
And he said, there's a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. Now Paul could have used any other issue that was dividing the Sadducees and the Pharisees. There were probably multiple issues where they didn't agree on but he strategically used the resurrection of the dead. Because by that, he was changing the issue at stake. Before, he was accused of desecrating the temple or defying Jewish law, and now he brings the resurrection of the dead into the center and sets the agenda for his trial, which would then allow him to put the gospel on trial and testify in his defense, testify to the gospel, share the gospel message as a means of his defense. Well, Paul then learns that there's a plot against his life, and the Romans transfer him from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And there is another hearing where we can see this, that Paul now is able to share more freely the gospel. In this another hearing before the governor Felix, he says, However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God's, uh, God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Now notice in the, before the Sanhedrin, he talks about the resurrection of the dead. Now he goes a little further, the resurrection of the dead, the righteous, and the wicked. And this testimony opens the door to share even the gospel with the governor and his wife themselves. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. Paul has been able to set the agenda. In this meeting, he says, It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Very shrewdly, he has changed the agenda and the dynamic of the trial. Well, then sometime later, a new governor comes into place and the hearing resumes. And once again, he plays very strategically his Roman citizenship. Because this new governor, of course, he wants to be friends with the Jewish authorities and tries to convince Paul to go back to Jerusalem to stand on trial. Paul, of course, knows that this will be only a decoy and will lead to his death. So he plays his Roman citizenship another time, plays this card another time, and says, I appeal to Caesar. 
which means that he will go to Rome to have his trial. And that actually allows him to fulfill a word that he had in Jerusalem at night. After that meeting at the Sanhedrin, it says here, the following night the Lord st stood near Paul and said, take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Now before that happens, while this new governor, um, Festus is kind of uh, in trouble now because he needs to write something. Why am I sending a prisoner or someone on trial to Rome? Because it looks pretty bad if he just sends him there. Because that tells the emperor and his officials and bureaucrats that he's not competent to handle a case. So he needs to find something that he can, with a good conscience, um, to secure his own career, send Paul off to Rome. And so it happens that King Agrippa and his sister are coming to Caesarea. Now, who is King Agrippa? Well, King Agrippa is the grandson of Herod the Great. He's the son of this Herod, you know, in, who died with the worms in Acts chapter 12. There's this story where an angel of the Lord strikes Herod and then worms devour him. It's pretty gross. That is his father. And he himself grew up at the Roman court because the Romans was hoping that a Jewish prince trained in the Roman ways could help to settle down things in Judea. Well, it didn't work out, but at that time, that was their hope. And I see that Paul's mission, his calling, really climaxes in this assembly. Just for our... Just for our uh, rehearsal here, in Acts chapter 9, Paul's mission is, This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then, when this meeting comes to pass in chapter 25, the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with a great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. As the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. So Paul is able to speak in front of the Roman officials, the highest Jewish authorities, military officers, probably Gentile, and then leading people of the city of Caesarea, which, which was a mixed Jewish and Gentile city. He had now the audience to share the gospel. And that is what he's doing. In the climax of his defense speech, he's saying, but I have had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. That is amazing. Just think of how it all started in the temple, almost ripped to pieces by the mob and now testifying to Christ at the highest level. I can hear him 
in each of these stages that he tells himself, yes, Paul, I can do this. Not because I'm a superhero, not because I'm Paul, but because Christ works for me. It is Christ who strengthens me. I wish sometimes that we as Christians also act as shrewdly as Paul and not dealing naively with, with the world and, and sharing the gospel, but rather yeah, finding ways to uncover the inconsistencies, the things that don't add up in a worldly or secular worldview, that in using that to our advantage. Just as Paul has used everything strategically and thought ahead, how he can further the gospel. Well, in this brief survey, I have glossed over one verse. One tiny verse. Here in chapter 24, verse 27. Namely, after the first hearing in Caesarea before Governor Felix, it says in verse 27, When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Two years with not much happening. Well, just compare this to, to the missionary journeys. For instance, in the second missionary journey, he revisited the churches in Galatia and his other areas, you know, Iconium and so on, then went from to Asia Minor, Macedonia, to Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, planted churches, spoke in synagogues, trained people, and that was roughly two years. And now he's two years under house arrest, lingering in house arrest. And these chapters, I mean, this 21, 26, or so say five chapters, well, if you condense this, then these are a couple of speeches and hearings which take maybe a couple hours each. And the rest, Paul lingering on. I mean, these two years, it's like the pandemic, right? That's a long time. And, and many of us feel that if they, if they, years were stolen from them. And yet Paul, Paul keeps on waiting patiently for his moment. I think again, hearing him as he's in this house arrest, not knowing what's going to happen, I can do this for Christ who strengthens me. And then finally, when his moment comes in this final speech, and if you haven't read this passage, just read this final speech before King Agrippa because that kind of summarizes and includes everything from the preceding chapters. There he shares the gospel. He shares his story. And then toward the end, Agrippa gets a little bit nervous. In verse 28, Agrippa says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, 
I pray God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. Throughout all these years of lingering with this arrest, trials, things, he has not lost his favor for the gospel. He is as excited about it and sharing it as he was in the beginning, back, way back in Acts chapter 9 in Damascus. I feel sometimes embarrassed that, you know, that in our context, sometimes we, we need um, to go to a conference or to a missions trip or say, oh, we need a revival in order to rekindle our, our excitement for the gospel. Well, Paul was here sitting in Caesarea and was still eager for the gospel without anything of that. And again, I think he was telling himself, Paul, I can do this for Christ who strengthens me. Well, summarizing Paul's experience, I think he leaves a huge legacy for us. In his speech to the elders of Ephesus in Miletus, he's saying, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And that is his point, to testify to God's grace. Was he all successful? Did everybody become a Christian he witnessed to? Could he resolve the rising tension between Jewish Christians and, and Gentile Christians? Probably not. But not, that was not his task. His task was to testify under any circumstances. And that's what he did. Because he knew that he could do this for Christ who strengthens me. I think that leaves a huge legacy for us to follow in his footsteps and to fulfill our task, our mission as a church, as individual, trusting in Christ to be empowered in each and every situation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this testimony of Paul. I thank you for the book of Acts and all that has been written down for our edification that we can learn and, and imitate and follow into the footsteps. And Father, I pray that you empower us, that we can be as bold and as courageous as Paul, but also as shrewd and wise in our dealings. That we can keep on going, trusting in you. And we, Father, I also pray now for our offering as we are taking our collection. I pray that, that you use us in all our capacities, also our material things, the things you are giving us to further your kingdom here in Wainwright and all over the world, that you give us the grace to give with a thankful heart and see how we have been you have brought us in into your kingdom and how we, each and one of us, has a role to play. And that giving is just one part, an important part, but just one part, to live out our faith, 
to live out our calling as followers of Christ, of citizens of your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.